Welcome to the Marketplace Awakening Podcast. We hope to inspire you to live out your life as salt and light in the marketplace. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Nice to see so many uh, familiar faces or at least familiar names. I'm just going to speak for about 25 minutes uh, and then we'll take your questions. Please do uh, think of any questions you've got while I'm speaking, jot them down, write them down, uh, and then we will we'll just take them uh, at the end. It's been, a, it's been a crazy few months, I think, for everyone uh, in so many different ways. I think at the, at the beginning of this year, which feels like it was just a couple of weeks ago, um, we all did the usual things that we do. Uh, we thought about uh, a refresh. We thought about New Year's resolutions. We thought about a new start. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in the early 2000s when all the economists and the futurists and the po political scientists and the social psychologists, when they were all writing their books, they all talked about 2020 as this big year, you know, the 2020 vision. Every company had a 2020 strategic plan. Every uh, country had a 2020 blueprint or a 2020 white paper, Singapore included. Uh, and with respect, all of those things have just come crashing down. Uh, no one expected or foresaw what 2020 would bring. Um, right from the smaller things that weren't really earth shattering, like the unexpected death of celebrities like Kobe Bryant, to uh, the pandemic, uh, through the untimely passing of other people um, who are public leaders, public intellectuals, uh, now going into what we hope will be a post-COVID time where I think the worst is quite possibly yet to come in every single way except medically. So we likely, God willing, we have seen the worst of COVID-19 in a medical sense, at least in the developed world. But it's quite possible that in an economic and financial sense, in a psychological and emotional sense, certainly in a political and cultural sense, uh, the worst of COVID-19 is yet to manifest itself. So whichever way we look at it, we are living in uncertain times. Uh, we are living amidst great volatility. And we've all been scrambling over these last few months to try and make sense of the way the world is becoming, to try and get through uh, the, this lockdown period and to try and find some sense of normality and some sense of hope as we go forward. And that I think applies to all of us, regardless of what we believe. Now, whether we're Christian, whether we're anti-Christian, whether we're agnostic, whether we're from another religious worldview, everyone is trying to make sense of things and everyone is trying to find some source of stability and hope for the future. And so I just wanted to share some thoughts with you in three categories about how we might find that sense of hope going forward, given the amount of volatility and the chaos that this year has turned out to be. And so the three categories I'd like to break down for you are navigating instability, dealing with suffering, and understanding dependence. Navigating instability, dealing with suffering, and understanding dependence. And all three of these things, if we don't take some time to take a step back and think through, we run the risk of misunderstanding each of the three. And in doing so, we run the risk of any hope we might actually have of finding a sense of peace uh, to move forward, finding a sense of hope within ourselves and outside of ourselves to move forward. So firstly then, navigating instability. And I've already talked a bit about the tectonic shifts in all of our political, cultural and economic institutions as a result of the pandemic that we are currently in. And we see now a second stage, um, as if 2020 wasn't chaotic enough, we see the second stage of instability that is being brought about by the specter of racial injustice and civil unrest as a result of that. And we see it in primarily Western countries at the moment, uh, in the United States, obviously, but it's unusual this time. It's a little bit different this time because there are people now protesting in London. Uh, they're protesting in Berlin. They're protesting in Cape Town and Johannesburg. Um, and if we think as Asians, or at least as people who live in Asia, if we think that we are exempt from the challenges and the opportunities that come from racial diversity, then we are kidding ourselves. So navigating instability is going to have to become part of the new normal. And I wanna be very clear that I don't believe that there is a new normal. I think the word normal has to be completely redefined. Um, we know what the last six months has been like, and we know the multitude of issues that we are dealing with individually, as families, as businesses, as professionals, as countries, as culture groups, as people groups, um, they seem to be endless and countless. But one thing I think we all have to accept is that instability is part of the new norm. 
So part of the new normal is that there is no new normal at all. And I think accepting that is a very important part of finding peace and finding hope in the middle of that. Now, there was a, a sociologist from the United States called George Ritzer about 20 or 30 years ago. And he talked about the four pillars of modern society, four things that we are all looking for individually and collectively. And he talked about efficiency, predictability, calculability, and control. Efficiency, predictability, calculability, and control. And the way that he wrapped those four things up was under a term that he coined called McDonaldization. And McDonaldization, of course, refers to the fast food chain McDonald's that was really exploding in the 1950s and 60s. But what he's really referring to is the modern cultural mindset that we are still very much a part of in Singapore today and around any developed country today. This idea that we could control things, the idea that we had an understanding of what we needed and we could get what we needed when we wanted it, how we wanted it, where we wanted it. That drive through culture, that understanding of you know, knowing what's in the fridge, knowing that we can get our groceries, knowing that we can travel, you know, to Phuket for three days anytime that we wanted to, knowing that our jobs were safe if our banks were well capitalized, knowing that our futures were safe if our children were educated properly, knowing that our financial security was assured if our investment portfolio was properly diversified, if we bought our HDB or our condo in the right places, if we had backup investments, if we had cash in the bank, knowing that our businesses were safe, if they were properly liquid, if we had operating reserves stored up in case income dropped. Now, all of that stuff has come completely crashing down. The efficiency, the predictability, the calculability and the control with which we used to seek our notions of stability have all come crashing to a halt as a result of this pandemic primarily, but they've been swirling around amidst instability for a long time. Whether it's the trade shocks that come out of the rise of China and US-China relations, whether it's the civil unrest in our Western, in the countries of our Western brothers and sisters as a result of racial injustice, whether it's tectonic political shifts that happened a couple of years ago in Malaysia that seem to be bubbling along in places like Hong Kong, SAR, uh, whether it's the uncertainty around the South China Sea geopolitically, whether it's the strongest economy in the region historically, Australia, having 29 years without a recession, now plunged into a deep, deep recession, quite possibly a depression coming up. All of these things show us that black swans as we know them are no longer as rare as they used to be. And so I remember when COVID-19 first hit and I, I said in one of my public statements, I said, this pandemic is going to have a greater medical impact than SARS and Ebola and H1N1 put together. It's going to have a greater financial impact than the dot-com crash, the Asian financial crash of 97 and the global financial crash of 2008 combined. And it's going to have a greater social and psychological impact than 9-11. And so far we are seeing that unfold. So navigating instability is going to be a part of the new abnormal, if you like. And those of you that have read the book or are familiar with the term black swan, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, uh, the critical uh, and social critic and thinker and economist uh, wrote this book talking about black swans as you would have probably heard them. Black swans are simply events that our predictive models can't make sense of. Events that seem to come out of nowhere that we don't really understand. So 9-11 was widely talked about as a black swan. The GFC in 2008 was talked about as a black swan. In December and January, COVID-19 has been talked about as a black swan. What's becoming quite clear now is that all the swans are black. All the swans are black. Every 10 minutes, something happens that our predictive models didn't know was going to happen. And it's funny, I grew up for most of high school in a city in Australia called Perth that I'm sure most of you will be aware of. And in Perth, funnily enough, um, we have a ton of swans. There's a lot of swans in Perth. It's actually on the West Australian flag, um, a swan. We even have a river that's called the Swan River because of the number of swans on it. But interestingly, growing up in Perth, all of the swans in Perth are black. So growing up, I never knew about a white swan. I used to see it in children's books, but the first white swan I actually saw was when I went to London to visit my cousins. Uh, and so growing up, I wasn't really, I didn't really understand what you know, Nicholas Nassim Taleb and all of these economists were talking about when they talked about black swans as this unforeseen event. But as I've now traveled around a bit, studied a bit, worked a little bit. And as I you know, read the papers and see what's going on around us, it's quite clear to me now that the Perth Western Australian paradigm of understanding black swans is much more accurate 
than, than the traditional paradigm because all swans are black now. White swans are very, very difficult to find. In fact, I can't even remember the last time something happened that was predicted and understood economically, politically, culturally um, around the world. And that includes, you know, in Singapore. If we had talked about a year ago, the fact that Singapore would be burning through our sovereign wealth funds faster than ever before in Singapore's history. If we talked about our economy projected to go into a contraction of a minimum of 7%, possibly up to 15%. Um, if we talked about Hong Kong being written about by political experts as a failed state, um, if we talked about these things a year ago, people would have laughed at us. Um, that we, would, we wouldn't have been taken seriously. Uh, now, this is the new abnormal. Uh, if we talked about global travel systems and people movements not returning to normal until 2023, people would have laughed at us. Uh, but that's what the experts now tell us, that international travel won't be restored to the full network of what it used to be in December until at least 2023. Uh, and it's likely that one third of airlines will be bankrupt and not even exist by then. Um, so no one even knows what the cost will be like. No one even knows what's going on. Now, I don't want to freak you guys out. Most of you are bankers. You understand. You can't be freaked out easily. You know that the markets are volatile. Uh, if, you, if you're from Standard Chartered, you've been through a big restructure over the last couple of years. So instability is not new to you. But I just want to drive home the point that finding hope in the middle of the 20th century, particularly in June, July, August and beyond 2020, we are going to have to navigate through the instability. We're going to have to find an anchor outside of the systems that we used to use and rely on for our stability. If you ever found, drew your stability from your job, then you're in big trouble because none of us have job security now. If you ever drew your stability from your investment portfolio or your financial security, then you're in big trouble right now because the financial systems are on the verge of collapse and any, um, you know, market analysts will tell you that uh, the worst hit of COVID-19 is nowhere near happened yet um, in the context of the S&P 500, the Nikkei, the NASDAQ, and so forth. Um, if you used to draw your stability um, from your children's education and how well they were doing in school, then you are in trouble now. Yeah, we don't even know what education is going to look like in the future. Um, there is talk about doing away with academic streaming. There's talk about doing away with uh, classical one-off assessment-based learning. There's talk about doing away with in-school um, learning as the norm for primary and secondary education. Universities are talking about in the midst, in the um, wake of COVID-19, changing entirely how they select students, changing entirely their pricing structure. Universities are going bankrupt. The University of California, the largest university network in the world, uh, has come out with a statement saying that they need to change their entire financial infrastructure and framework. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean for you and me? Our systems are so interconnected now that we have to understand that we are all subject to the intrinsic instability in our systems. And the only way to find hope and stability through that instability is to find some kind of anchor or ground for our identity outside of the system. It has to be outside the economic system, the education system, the financial system, the banking system, the condo system, the HDB system, the driving cars system, the Singapore system, the ASEAN system. It has to be outside of the world. That's the only way we will be able to navigate the instability. We have to find an anchor that sits outside of the storm. And that's not conceptually difficult to understand because that's how anchors work. Anchors only work if you attach them to something outside of the storm. Uh, it doesn't matter how good an anchor is. It doesn't matter how good your boat is. If your anchor is stuck in the storm with you and in the boat with you, uh, then it's completely useless. Anchors only work when you attach them to the land or when you attach them to the seabed, which is technically outside of the storm itself. Otherwise, we're all caught up in the storm. So we need to navigate that instability. Secondly, we need to deal with suffering. Uh, one thing that this pandemic has brought on is the clarity with which suffering is not something that anyone is immune from. Su suffering is utterly ubiquitous. It's part of the human condition. Doesn't matter who you are, everyone suffers. And we see COVID-19 as an example of that. We all know people who have contracted it. Uh, many of us know people who have died from it. I certainly know people who have died from it. Um, and this pandemic aside, there are all the other categories of suffering that we know people who are struggling with right now, whether it's job loss or emotional distress or mental ill health or family breakdowns or whatever it might be. Now, when you look at the different worldviews on offer, um, they all have a different responses to suffering. And I might have spoken about this briefly um, with some of you previously. But it's important to look through what each worldview offers in the context of suffering, given that suffering is part of the new abnormal that we're all living in. Now, some worldviews will tell you that there is this being out there called God, but 
he or she or it doesn't have any moral obligation to you. So you can't ask any questions about suffering. You just have to shut up and take it. Whatever suffering you're going through is just God's will. There's another category of worldviews out there that will say that there is a God out there, but your suffering is a result of something that you have done. You have caused it. Any suffering that you are going through right now, or for that matter, any suffering that anyone out there is going through, has been brought about by their own actions, their own thoughts, their own deeds, either in this life or in another life previously, perhaps. And that's why they're suffering now. There's another category of worldview that will tell you that suffering is real, but it's an illusion. It's because you desire things. That's why you're suffering. Uh, it's because you loved your grandparent or your parent. That's why when they died, you suffered. And so the outworking of this worldview is to call on people to meditate yourself to a point where there is no more desire. Meditate to a point where you're not even conscious. It's consciousnesslessness, if you like, to a point where there is an extinguishing of the human consciousness or the self. And there you won't suffer anymore because you won't be connected to anything or anyone. You won't be connected to your job. So if you lose it, you won't care. You won't be connected to your children. So if your relationship breaks down, you won't care uh, and so on. And then there's another category of worldview, which can be broadly labeled as the atheistic worldviews that if they are being honest, they will tell you that suffering is meaningless because all of life is meaningless because we are nothing but time plus matter plus chance. And if you hold that worldview philosophically, the only consistent and honest position in dealing with suffering is to say that it's completely meaningless. Uh, because if we are just time plus matter plus chance, uh, then anything and everything that we do or that happens to us is nothing but an outworking, a random meaningless outworking of time plus matter plus chance. So these are some of the worldview categories out there that have different responses to suffering. But we are trying to find an anchor point outside of the storm, and we are trying to find a meaningful and hope-filled pathway through the suffering. And arguably, none of what I've just offered actually does that. So I want to get to my third and final point and hopefully give you something positive to actually take away because it feels like there's been a bit of a negative, dark and gloomy talk so far. So we've talked about the need to navigate through instability and find an anchor outside of the storm. We've talked about the need to deal with suffering and some of the worldviews on offer and what they actually offer in dealing with suffering. Thirdly and finally, we need to understand dependence. We need to understand dependence. Now, it was Oscar Wilde who said that we need to learn to be alone and not to have our lives defined by any other person. And that was very much symbiotic with this 1950s and 60s culture of self-sufficiency that was growing at the time. And that has just grown and grown and grown through the modern era. And we know that today because it doesn't matter where in the world you live or what you believe in, independence is an ideal that everyone strives for. We all love the idea of independence. We like and we are proud to tell people, I'm financially independent or I'm emotionally independent or I'm raising kids who are independent. We all want those things for ourselves, for our friends, for our children, for our families. We want independence. By contrast, the word dependence over the last hundred, hundreds of years has been degraded. It's been delegitimized. It's been stigmatized. So while independence has been correlated with strength and resilience, dependence has been correlated with weakness and need. And so people don't like to be thought of as dependent. But as I spoke of initially in talking about the breakdown of the institutions on which we have sought to build our stability, what these last few months have shown us is that we are all intrinsically dependent in one way or another. And we are dependent in a practical sense. We are also dependent in a philosophical sense. Let me break those things down for you. Now, practically, the systems we have seen that we have tried to build our dependence on have shown themselves to be undependable because they've all just come crashing down. If we are dependent on the financial system, it's ground to a halt. If we're dependent on the retail and food and beverage sector, it's all come to a halt. If we're dependent on our capacity, if we are extroverts, on going out and spending time with friends, even that has come grinding to a halt. So it doesn't really matter what institutions or systems we've been dependent on. Um, they've been threatened in the last few months and they've revealed themselves not to be dependable. We also see the truth of our dependence philosophically because whatever we are dependent on, even if we try and build independence within that framework, we still find ourselves dependent on something. So for example, if I tell you I'm financially independent, I have no needs financially, I'm completely financially independent, that's all well and good. But all I am telling you implicitly is that our, I am now dependent for my identity on the ideal of financial independence. 
If I tell you I'm emotionally independent, all that means is that I have become dependent for my identity on the concept of emotional independence. If I say that I am physically independent, all I'm telling you is that I'm dependent on the ideal of physical independence. So it doesn't matter which way we look at it, practically, philosophically, we are all dependent on something. And when we look at the brokenness of the world out there, and it's looking more broken than it has been for a very long time, whether it's through the pandemic, whether it's through you know, the civil unrest, political protest, racial injustice, inequality, climate change, you name it. It's looking messy out there. And then when we look equally powerfully at the unrest in our own hearts, it's very clear that we have very little control, that instability is intrinsic, and that we are all ultimately dependent. The only question that then remains is, on what are you dependent? On what are we dependent? And that's where I want to bring it back to how we deal with suffering. I talked about all except one worldview in the context of what it offers to get through suffering. The final worldview that I didn't include, because I wanted to go through this concept of dependence first, is the Christian worldview. And the Christian worldview is an interesting one. It, like any other worldview, has a response to suffering, but its response to suffering is a little bit different. It doesn't say that you just have to shut up and take your suffering because God doesn't care. It doesn't say that your suffering is always your fault, even though sometimes it realistically is our fault. It doesn't say that suffering is just an illusion and you've got to meditate yourself out of it. And it certainly doesn't say that suffering is meaningless. What the God of the Bible says, the Christian God, what he says is that suffering is real. Suffering matters to him. Suffering is a genuine thing that happens to people and it breaks his heart when he sees suffering. But what does he do about it? He steps down into the world as a person and takes all of that suffering onto himself and does away with it in a real event in human history around 2020 years ago and then rises from the dead, proving who he actually is. And now what that means for you and me is he is able to offer us two incredible things. One is comfort and strength through the suffering and instability that we have now, an anchor outside of the system, a transcendent source of peace and strength and endurance and identity outside of the storm and through the suffering. And secondly, he's able to offer us an eternal future with him that's free from all suffering. So this is a unique response. And if we look at the reality of the world today, that we have to find a way to navigate instability. We have to find a way to deal with suffering and we have to find a way to understand our ultimate dependence. This God offers a solution to all three of those things. He offers us a transcendent anchor on which we can peg our identity outside of the instability, outside of the storm. He offers us a pathway through the suffering, not to ignore the suffering or exempt us from the reality of it, but offers us a pathway through the suffering. And thirdly and finally, he offers us something infinitely dependable on which we can place our dependence. So if we take the reality that we are ultimately infinitely dependent beings, this God reveals himself as someone who is eternally and infinitely dependable. The only question left for us is what do we choose to depend on? How do we choose to deal with suffering? How do we choose to navigate through instability? If we reject God, then we are left with no other option but to try and get through it ourselves. And every other one of those worldviews, those categories of worldviews that I shared with you, is in some way saying exactly that. Is saying exactly that. Is saying if you throw this offer of relationship with this God out of the window or you reject this offer, then ultimately you're going to have to deal with it in your, in your own strength. And when we look around the world, that's exactly what people have been trying to do. We've been trying to think our way through suffering, to engineer our way through it, to bank our way through it, to save and innovate and science and work and apply ourselves around and through the suffering. And none of it's been working. Self-help and self-strength and self-sufficiency has failed us again and again and again. And we know it because when we look at the world out there, we see it's broken. And when we look at the world in here, we see that we are broken. So we need someone outside of the system to come and give us some kind of transcendent hope through the instability, through the suffering, and in response to our dependence. And the person of Jesus Christ and the Christian message offers us all of those things. Thanks so much for giving me a hearing. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, open to your questions. If you... Okay, I'm, hi, it's Elizabeth. And hey, Elizabeth. Apologies for not turning on my camera. I wasn't ready for that. That's okay. Uh, this is not a question, it's more of a comment. I think sure. it's good to kind of 
get the Christian perspective on everything that's happening. Um, so much has happened since January, like you rightly said. So it was good to get kind of an intellectual perspective on, yeah, we're all aware of what's happening, but then plugging in the anchor of everything, you know, what's going to make uh, this bearable, how we're going to get through this storm. So, so thank you so much for that. So I don't have a comment. Uh, I just think that it was nicely tied in uh, and kind of gives us uh, the perspective, the lens through which we need to, to view these uh, world events. Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks for your comment. Hi, Max. Um, it's Doreen. Apologies. I also were not <laughs> not ready for the video. So, That's uh, okay. Thanks for sharing. I think um, I came in late, but I think even the last part was just uh, really good. So I particularly like the part where you say that, you know, um, the Bible doesn't say that suffering, you know, you have to bear with it yourself or, or it is not something wrong that you have done. I think this is so good to uh, sort of like counter the the karmic uh, theory, you know, where they think like uh, there's reincarnation and, you know, it's supposed to happen to you, whatever, which some of my friends are into really. So I'm just wondering through this crisis, do you think that it kind of strengthens the Christian, uh, you know, cause for being a Christian or do you think, uh, yeah, or do you think it's uh, it's also you know probably strengthen other beliefs as well? Just a just thought of an intellectual you know discussion on it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for that question. It's a it's a good it's an important insight too. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting. It, it's it probably would differ from person to person if you ask them whether um, you know this crisis has strengthened people in their faith. Uh, weakened people in their faith or driven people from no faith to faith or faith to no faith. And, uh, you know, in my, my experience of speaking uh, at events like this over the last two months, um, it's done all of those things for different people. So it really depends on where your heart is and where your mind is. Um, in my view, you know, I, I think that this illuminates the core of the Christian message and particularly the cross of Jesus Christ as the most compelling response to human suffering in human history. Um, because in, in my view anyway, because of the weakness of the other worldviews in responding to suffering. Now, responses to suffering have to be at the very least um, three things. They have to be internally coherent. So they have to you know, not be contradictory in a philosophical sense. So they have to make sense within themselves. Uh, they also have to correspond with reality. They have to be able to make sense of the suffering that's actually happening. Um, and thirdly, they have to be existentially powerful. They have to be relevant for me in my suffering and actually be able to transform my life and help me to get through my suffering. Um, and for me personally, when I look at the other categories of worldview, um, they, they fail on one, two, or all three uh, of, those, of those three criteria uh, for suffering. So for me, when I, I look at the reality of the suffering that everyone's going through, um, the, the Christian message makes perfect sense of it because if Christianity were true, so I'm thinking like a skeptic now, right? Let's, let's say that I'm a thinking atheist and I was investigating honestly with an open heart and an open mind, every worldview. If Christianity were true, what is happening is exactly what you would expect to happen. Um, what does the Christian message say? Well, it says that the world is broken and it says that people are broken. Uh, it also says that people have a great, tremendous capacity for goodness inside of them and capacity for love. But it also says that people have certain yearnings that things inside this world um, are not able to satisfy. The yearning for belonging, the yearning for love, the yearning for acceptance, the yearning for relationship, the yearning for humor, the yearning for music, um, the yearning for fulfillment, the yearning for flourishing, the yearning for purpose, the yearning for meaning. It says that if it's true, you would expect this to be on every human heart, not every Christian heart, every human heart. That's exactly what we see. Um, it says because of the brokenness of the world, there are going to be things that happen that are antithetical to the perfect, the ultimate perfection of God's creation that he will bring about in the future. So we will have things like natural disasters and genetic abnormalities and diseases and bacteria and damaging viruses and pandemics and so forth. And that's exactly what we see. Um, you would expect Christians who are close to God and walking with him as he wants to be walked with, are resilient and strengthened amidst the suffering, but are not immune to the suffering. And that's exactly what you see. Uh, you know, Christians have died from COVID-19. Christians have helped people and stood alongside people um, who have died from COVID-19. Uh, great stories of Christians. Uh, one um, Roman Catholic 
priest in Italy who was in a quarantine center where there were not enough respirators. And he gave his respirator to a young man who was not a Christian um, because the young man was, had more of his life ahead of him. Uh, and that father, Father Jose, I think was his name, uh, he died within 24 hours and the young man was saved. So you see this outpouring of the love of God that's coming. Um, my church, even yesterday, my wife and I, and this is not about us, but uh, my home church in Singapore, um, every week we take uh, 600 care packages to the migrant worker dorms, uh, just to a couple of dorms that we're partnering with in Singapore. So these are the things that you would expect from Christians and you would expect of the evidence that we see out there in the world. Um, so for me, uh, I, I feel strengthened in my faith more than ever before because the Christian message actually understands suffering, it makes sense of suffering, and it offers hope and comfort and strength through the suffering as well. Uh, whereas there are certain other categories of worldviews that deny that suffering is even real, or they say it's people's fault. Uh, and I, I just, you know, you, you think about a six-year-old girl that died from COVID-19, how is that her fault, you know, to die from a virus? What, what could she have ever done? I'm not saying she's perfect, but there's just no evidence, philosophically or practically, for a lot of the, these other accounts of suffering to hold. Whereas, in my view, uh, the Judeo-Christian account of suffering and redemption through suffering is, is pretty powerful. Uh, and, and compelling to anyone who's willing to investigate it. Yeah, thank you for the question. Great question. Thank you very much. That was very insightful. Uh, Max, we do have a question in the chat. Yeah. In finding hope post-COVID, do you mean we first have to, one, accept the current circumstances, two, find our anchor in life, in this case, Christ, and three, depend on him and rest in the Lord. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty good summary, Mickey. So thank you for that. Um, it's not quite a complete summary though. So one thing that we have to be very clear on is that, and I'm speaking specifically to Christians now, um, if you are a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus. Um, yes, you do have to accept the brokenness of the world and accept the circumstances to an extent. Um, yes, you definitely have to find an anchor in your life. Everyone has to find an anchor. So that applies to all people. Um, and yes, I have put forward Jesus as the ultimate, the ultimate satisfactory object of dependence and dependability. Um, but we also have to go about the task of improving the circumstances that other people find themselves in. So there's this, there's this phrase in Africa that is often used, um, which is, if you're really a Christian, you don't pray with your arms folded. Um, and I think we are often at risk of doing that here in the East, um, where we just pray that everything will be okay, or we pray that our job will be safe, or we pray that our friends will get through things, and then we don't do anything about it. Um, whereas the Christian message is a deeply, deeply practical message that calls on us to actually pour out of ourselves into the lives of others, into the suffering of others. The, the one, the most important thing that Jesus did was go to the cross. And what was he doing? He was involving himself in the suffering of humankind. And as Christians, we are called to be like Jesus. So we are called primarily to involve ourselves in the suffering of the people around us. Um, and so I got a question the other day at an event and I was a little bit blunt in how I dealt with it, but I, I think I was right um, in the substance of what I said. They said, a friend of mine has just lost their job because of the pandemic. Um, what can I do? And the first part of my answer is, well, do you have any kind of power or influence? Give them a job. Um, do you have any money? Give them money. Do you have a home? Invite them into your home with their family to come and live in your home. Um, do you have capacity to provide food for them or to support them or to put them in contact with 10 people through which they might be able to get another job? Um, if you're a Christian, you should be doing all of those things while you're praying for them. Um, there's no point just praying saying, oh, COVID's happening. That's a shame about these migrant workers. No, that's not good enough. We have to pray about it and then get out there and help them. Um, we have to actually get our hands dirty. Uh, Christians, the Christian posture is a posture of sacrifice and sacrificial love. And the Christian brand of love is a unique brand of love. My talk wasn't on love, but you could easily give a talk on the different worldviews and their versions of love because Christians aren't the only people who have love and understand love. Everyone out there loves. Love is widely regarded as the supreme ethic by every worldview. But the Christian brand of love is unique in that we are called to love even the people that we don't like. Um, we are called to love even the people that disagree with us. We are called to love 
even the people who hate us. Um, and that is mind-blowing, earth-shattering love. Uh, the fact that this, this Jesus that I'm talking about, the fact that he was loving the people who were killing him while they were killing him, that's the standard of love that we're called to if you're a Christian. Uh, that's messy. Um, and we are called to it, if it even if it costs us our comfort, even if it costs us our free afternoon, even if it costs us our savings, even if it costs us our job, and even if it costs us our life, even if it costs us any of those things, we are called to love at the cost of all of those things. And that's tough. Um, in Singapore, you know, I, I love it here, by the way. I've been here for three years now. Uh, I hope I, I said I would be here for, until the government threw me out. Um, but in Singapore, one thing that I think some of us do some of the time, I certainly am at risk of doing it, is we practice a very middle to upper class, uh, comfortable brand of kind of champagne country club Christianity, um, where we think that somehow our faith is linked to our kids' academic results or to our jobs uh, or to our satisfaction materially or even to our happiness emotionally. Um, whereas I can give it to you straight, if you're reading the same Bible I am, it promises suffering. It promises suffering. And not only that, it promises suffering for all people because of the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of people. But then if you're a Christian, it promises extra suffering above and beyond that. So if you're looking for a worldview that guarantees suffering, Christianity is the one. Christianity is the only one that actually guarantees suffering. And it says that the closer you become to God, the deeper you go in your Christian walk and the better you are doing, you will suffer more and more and more. Now, alongside that suffering are other amazing things that I haven't talked about. Things like joy and peace and liberation and hope and etern eternal promises and all kinds of other stuff. But the suffering is real. And so when I say we need to accept the way things are now, find an anchor in God and depend on Jesus, that is all true. But we also have to take the suffering seriously. Uh, and it's in our response to suffering that we really show what we're made of. Uh, and if you're a Christian, then you're supposed to be made of Jesus. Um, and if you're not a Christian, then the Christians in your life are being called to pour out the love of Jesus on you. Um, and if you're in that category and they're not, you should ask them about that. You should call them to account. Um, you should talk to them about that because that's what they are called to. And we should be holding ourselves and each other accountable to that. Uh, there should always be joy uh, in walking with Jesus, but there should also always be some sense of giving of ourselves. So, yeah, thank you for that question. Hey, Max, Azira here. Uh, I have a question. If someone is actually considering your last point, right, about dependence, someone's actually exploring um, that, yeah, actually, maybe I'm not that independent as I think I am, you know, because of the different financial shaking and all that. But considering this idea of dependence is actually very scary, like dependence on, like you have suggested, would be on God. Yeah. Uh, or if I'm exploring, it could be depending on something else, right? Depending on which worldview I might be exploring. Yes. What would be your advice to someone who's on this journey of exploring um, a deeper dependence on something else that perhaps the person has been, you know, depending on previously, like you were saying? Yeah, yeah it's a great question, Azaria. I think the first point to make that again, you only find in the Judeo-Christian worldview is that if you're listening to these words, you are infinitely valuable and of infinite worth. And that is manifested in a number of ways, but the most obvious way in our, in our belief system is that you are made in the image of God. And because you are made in the image of God, your sense of identity, your happiness, your future, your joy, your life, not just your biological, physical life, but your eternal life is all of infinite value to God, right? It's of infinite value to God. Because of that, in searching for something to depend on, my encouragement to you is make sure you find something that is proven and is reasonably understood to be infinitely dependable because nothing else is worthy of your dependence. Nothing else is going to be worthy of your dependence. Whatever you put your dependence on has to bear the weight of your life, your soul, your heart, your identity, your future, your suffering, your needs, your wants, your dreams, everything. So it's going to take something pretty impressive 
to be worthy of all of that dependence. So don't kid yourself that the things on offer out there are going to be worthy of your dependence. So when the world out there tries to sell you objects of dependence, like financial security, or like your career, or your professional advancement, there's nothing wrong with those things, but if, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that they can bear the weight of everything I've just talked about, of your soul, of your life, of you as an image bearer of God. The, the Bible literally says to you personally that God knows you by name and that you are considered by him to be his masterpiece. No other worldview will give you that kind of value and that kind of dignity and that kind of honor. Now, for this Christian God to say that to you, and then to say, now come and depend on me for all of those things. That's a powerful thing. So as you investigate, make sure that these other worldviews, you are properly scrutinizing them. And you, this is the question always to ask, because there are elements of the Christian walk that are uncertain, and they can be confusing, and there is suffering, and there are aspects of suffering that we don't even understand as Christians. You know, there are people who we lose in our lives. And we just don't know why God took them or why he let this happen or why he let that happen. Why he let COVID happen now. Um, why couldn't he have let it happen in the 1300s where it would have only affected probably 300 people because there were no airplanes and it wouldn't have got out of the first city that it was in. There's a lot of stuff that as Christians, we don't understand. And so the thinking person should always ask, okay, God, you want us to trust you. On what basis are you dependable? And that's when you get to the evidence for Christianity. And that's when it ultimately culminates in the cross. But there are various other categories of evidence too. There is historical evidence, archaeological, anthropological, philosophical, psychological, anecdotal, cosmological, you name it. Every academic discipline arguably will have some strand of evidence or body of evidence that points to the truth of the Christian message. Now, my encouragement to you is if you are honestly scrutinizing and investigating all of the other worldviews, ask them where their evidence is too. Where's the evidence? On what basis should I believe in this? You know, ask, what does it say of the world around me? Does it correspond to reality? Does, does it correspond to the needs and the feelings I have in my heart? Does it correspond to the yearnings of my soul and my emotions? Does it correspond to the brokenness of the world around me? That's how you'll find truth. You know, Plato very famously, and long before Christianity was even known as Christianity, Plato said, the only way to find truth is to follow the evidence to where it leads. And so I really encourage people who are searching for something dependable, make sure that that thing is worthy of the entire weight of who you are, the entire burden of your identity. Because it, if it's anything other than infinitely dependable, it won't bear the weight. It won't bear the weight. And there's this term that we often hear about identity crisis or midlife crisis or whatever it is. All that term means, that term is quite simply the outworking of someone who has put their dependence on something that is not infinitely dependable and that thing has come crashing down. And now they are struggling for their identity because the thing on which they built their dependence has been shown to be weak. In the Bible, Jesus himself tells stories to help us understand this. He talks about warning us against building our lives on shifting sand. So don't build your life on shifting sand. Don't build your life on you know, uncertain ground. Build it on something dependent. Um, as a Christian, obviously, what I'm saying to you is that Jesus is that, that rock, that foundation of dependence. But if you're thinking clearly, you shouldn't take my word for it. Of course, I'm going to say that. I'm a follower of Jesus, right? What you should say is that, okay, on what basis, Max, do you believe that? On what basis do you depend on this Jesus of yours? And on what terms of scrutiny and investigation am I going to subject the Christian worldview and every other worldview in my sphere of understanding before I make a decision? One thing that I can promise you, failing to make a decision is a decision. And it's the worst one you could possibly make. This idea of free thinking that is running around, there's nothing wrong with free thinking if it means you're open to ideas. But free thinking needs to be about having an open heart and an open mind and then reasoning your way to trust in whatever truth claims are the most evidentially grounded, right? There's no point free thinking if you're just free thinking forever. That's not free thinking. That's ridiculous. At some point, free thinking has to become true thinking. The only point of free thinking is if it leads you ultimately to true thinking. And true thinking means putting your weight, your dependence, your reliance, your faith onto particular truth claims after investigating them. If you're just perpetually a free thinker, that's the equivalent of saying, you know, what does two plus two equal? Oh, I'm a free thinker on that issue. I'm a free thinker on two plus two. I'm open to all the ideas. Well, look, that's good. But at some point, when you find that the answer is four, you need to lock into that answer, right? Because two plus two can't equal both four and five and six. 
It has to equal something. Once you find the answer, that's it. Then free thinking becomes using our freedom to choose to believe in the truth, to choose to submit ourselves to the truth claims out there that accord with the evidence, that accord with reality, that accord with our hearts, that accord with the experiential and anecdotal and historical evidence that's out there. So free thinking only works if it ultimately becomes true thinking. Remember that. And finding the object of your dependence is compulsory. No one gets to ignore that choice. If you ignore the choice of what you're going to put your dependence on, the default choice is that you're going to have to depend on yourself. That's what a lot of people out there do. So if you say to me, I, I choose not to make that choice, or I choose to remain a free thinker, or I'm perpetually ag agnostic, then all that means is that you're depending on yourself. That's all you've done. You've chosen to self-actualize. Um, you've chosen to be self-sufficient. Uh, and a lot of people are trying that out there. Uh, there are a lot of people trying, but there's a reason that that doesn't work. Um, there is data that shows that that doesn't work. Uh, and so I encourage you um, to be honest with yourself and be honest with the evidence around you and, and continue that search in good faith and you will find the truth. And if I'm right, that truth will be a person and his name is Jesus. Thanks for the question. Sure. So Navita is asking, Max, if someone wants to explore the dependence on the Christian God, where do you suggest they start? A great question, Navita. Thank you for that. Um, there's any number of things that might work. There is not one right way uh, to start. Um, a few suggestions. Uh, first of all, given that you are privileged enough to be you know, on this WhatsApp group or email group, I encourage you to continue to tune into these talks. Uh, as long as they make sense to you and listen to whether God might be speaking to you. You know, as Christians, one thing we believe is that God speaks in lots of different ways. Uh, and one way might be through other people. Um, and so continue to tune in. We love having you here. Um, if you continue to, if you want to investigate the, the primary way, the two ways outside of this, uh, I really encourage you to just open your Bible um, because Christianity is not a religion. I'm going to say that again. Christianity is not a religion. Um, it's a relationship. And so it all depends on what you make of the person of Jesus. That's all that matters about being a Christian. It's not about rules. It's not about politics or political positions. It's not about ethics or um, rituals or things to believe or things to do or things to say. All of those things on some level are associated with Christianity, but primarily at its core, being a Christian is about being in a relationship with Jesus, an up close and personal relationship with God himself through Jesus. So get to know him. And if you haven't, if you're new to any of this, or you've got a friend that's new to all of this, I just really recommend to read the fourth and final biography of Jesus that we have carbon datable evidence for. It's the biography of John. Um, and it brings the person of Jesus and the life of Jesus um, and presents it in a very unthreatening uh, and honest way, I think. The other three do as well, but in my view, Matthew is too complex, Luke is too long, and Mark is too short. So if you're a thinking person, that likes movies, that likes music, that's between the ages of 15 and 55, I think John would be a great place to start. He's the best writer of the four, in my opinion. You know, as a former speech writer, um, I think he's the best writer. Um, he writes the best literature. And his biography of Jesus, I encourage you to start reading it. Or if your friend is searching, offer to read through that biography of Jesus with your friend. Um, just read through it. Jesus will walk off the page. He will walk off the page. Um, and... I encourage you to write down the questions you have as a result of reading that, listen to what God might be saying as a result of reading that. And then if you're a Christian, walk alongside this person. If you're not a Christian, get a hold of a Christian. Get a hold of a Christian and read through it with them and ask your questions of them. Ask every question you've got. Now, I can promise you two things. If they are like me, they won't have answers to every question. But if you're a seeker of truth, you will know that um, that doesn't mean that answers don't exist. It's a category error to think that. Um, if if the gospel of Jesus, if the message of Jesus is true, the answer exists. We as any given Christian might not have the answer, but they will be able to connect you with someone who has the answer. They will be able to connect you with a resource or a YouTube clip, or they'll connect you with me or our team of speakers, and they will walk through with you anything you've got. They'll link you up with their church, perhaps. There might be a program you can go to. Um, we Christians have a, a number of different programs. There's a program called Alpha that is specifically designed for you to just come and ask your questions. Uh, I'm sure someone would link you up with that. Or if you just want to do it one-on-one -on -one over beer or over coffee or over 15 lunches, um, your Christian friend will buy you those lunches um, and talk you through whatever you want to talk through. So keep coming on to these calls. Um, open the Gospel of John and read through that. 
seek out a Christian, no matter how much you like them or dislike them, and just fire questions at them. Ask them out for coffee. Ask them out for a meal. Um, and just ask them questions, and they will journey with you and link you up with all of the resources that you need. Thank you, Max, for that. Um, so thank you, everyone, for joining today's session. Uh, you know, and really appreciate you, Max, taking the time. And, I, and just in closing, I do want to share, like, I, I think Max, I think one thing I really caught was the fact that uh, we need to secure our identity. I think this is a, a, a really important opportunity and season in time where we need to find a true anchor for our identity and uh, hope not just for this life, but for the life beyond. And I think the other thing I've seen is that, as you shared that, I think Jesus himself on his journey to the cross has not just accepted suffering, he's dignified it, but he's also redeemed it and used that journey of suffering to actually bring out our redemption and salvation on the cross. Um, so thanks a lot for, for sharing. And I just in closing, uh, to everyone who's on the call, whether you're a believer or not, I think uh, Max has shared very important points and I think it's a great opportunity to reflect on our lives now uh, do we have an eternal security that will bring us through not just COVID-19, but the rest of our lives and for all the other black swans we will never know about? Uh, is there something more secure than that we can rest on rather than our self-worth, our net worth, or even our own strength? Is there something more that we need to search out and find in life? And hopefully everyone who's on this call will have seen that. Um, I think many of us here believe that the answer is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we're just going to spend time to just close in prayer really quickly. Uh, and if you're a believer or not, I just encourage you to just join us as we, as we pray. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to hear about the good news of your Son and our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to pray for everyone on this call today, uh, whether we know you or not, God, we know you are actively seeking and searching us out. You are speaking to the depths of our heart. And I just pray, God, that today, someone and all of us will be touched by the words that Max has shared, uh, not through his words, but by the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your love for us. And so, God, we pray that you will encounter us in your own way, through words, through people, through whatever opportunities that you have to reach us, God. You will speak to us through this season and so that we will find our reason for being and our hope for this life and the life beyond. So God, we just thank you for today's message. We thank you for Max and his ministry. And we pray your hand of protection and blessing over Max and over all of us who are on this call. We just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so Amen. thank you, everyone. Thanks again, Max, for joining us today and, and for, for sharing that. And as you did share, if you know, you've not known Jesus personally, but someone invited you to this call, please reach out to them and you know, speak to them and ask them, um, how do you begin this journey of seeking hope for the life and the life beyond? But thank you, everyone, and we hope you can join us again uh, next week at the same time. Uh, once again, Max, thank you so much uh, for spending your time with us this afternoon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. God bless you all.